Hi guys, here we are today with Bobby Lane, uh, CEO and founder at Factotum. Um, Bobby, how are you? I'm good, Lawrence. How are you? Nice to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. It's um, yeah, it's it's been a very busy start to the year. Um, a, a lot going, a, a lot going uh, on in the world of technology. Um, you know, and I think actually more than ever, um, we're seeing quite a lot of opportunity for startups. Um, um, I, so I want to jump into that actually, talking about like Factotum. What are you guys doing at the moment? What are you working on? What's really the the goal for you? I think we, we've grown very quickly over the last three years. So actually, it's uh, coming up to our third uh, anniversary in uh, a few days' time. Uh, and we've grown dramatically over the last three years. I think the first two years was uh, quite difficult because it was started three weeks before the first lockdown and, and COVID. And uh, it was a challenge the first sort of 18 months to two years to get things going, build the team and get that platform going and start explaining what we're doing and working with clients. But once lockdown ended and we uh, were able to come out and start building the business from there, we've, we've never looked back and, and the team's growing rapidly. We've added 30 to headcount in the last nine months. Uh, we're growing a, a huge percentage each year. Uh, and the growth has been exceptional over the last sort of year. So we, we've had a real great run since since COVID ended. And I suppose for us, it's more of the same and continuing to build on the platform that we've built over the last few years. So, I mean, how how did you build during COVID? Because I've got to be honest, we started the similar sort of time. Um, yeah. It was horrendous for us. I think it was uh, probably one of the most soul-destroying, difficult times I've ever been through in my life because you know you've got a good idea. You know, three weeks before uh, lockdown started very passionate about what we were doing we started to put a team together and then the world ended and it was for the next 18 months no one knew what was going to happen when we were going to come out we sort of had a few false starts where we came out and thought right here we go again and then then it didn't happen and had another lockdown uh so it was a very very difficult period but i think if i look back uh over sort of my career the previous business that, that i started and built before its sale uh i, I kind of jumped off a cliff built the plane on the way down and hoped that the plane was uh, was fit for purpose by the time it got to the bottom and would take off. And, and that worked really well. Uh, so I started off this business in the same vein. I thought, right, here we go. Off I go. I'm ready to jump off that cliff. And then had to pull myself back from it because of COVID. Uh, so this time it's kind of been a different uh, structure and a different way of building a business. I think what I did this time was kind of built the launch pad, put the rocket ship on it, uh, built the seats, refueled it, put all the people in it and had my finger hovering over that uh, launch button. Uh, and and when, when lockdown ended, we pressed the launch button and off we went. So it, I think COVID gave me a chance to build a business in a different way this time, which was a much more controlled, carefully managed uh, business, putting the business structure and the processes in place and building that team before we went to market. Whereas previously, I'd go and win the business and worry about it afterwards. So I think it was a, a, it gave me a different perspective on how to build a business this time. Yeah, I think from my perspective, like when when we were building during COVID, I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. You know, video content obviously, you know, became an even playing field with all the big tech companies. But it was hell. I mean, in terms of actually like getting companies yeah. to make decisions, in terms of getting companies to yeah. trust you and work with you, it, it, it was not a good time. But again, you know, you're, yourself, you're very experienced in that area. Um, it's something whereby I, th I think you probably understand more than most. Um, so, I mean, I mean, what is your essentially, I guess, go to market strategy then? Well, for, for the business, it was really uh, I built a team of people that were probably the most experienced in their sectors. I think someone described the factotum business model as, as uh, a version of Avengers Assemble, where we went out and found all the best people in, in their different divisions and 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 it's most experienced people in their sectors and put them in one place and thought, right, let's put them all in one place, put them around a table and, and stick on the, the, the light and off we go. Uh, so our go-to-market strategy was finding the best people who could who have had huge amounts of experience that could deliver the best services and were very experienced at building a business. So it, it was then taking their experience, putting it together and explaining to people what we were doing. And I think, uh, like, like you, we've discussed it before, Lawrence, that the, the challenge is um, when you're kind of building a new model or a new concept, it's explaining what you're doing. So the first challenge is to tell people what you're doing, get them to understand it, then get them comfortable with it, and then you know, engage. Uh, so I think if I look back, our business is probably the true multidisciplinary outsourcing practice in, in, in the country and the first one to really make it work because we've seen businesses previously try and, and offer these services. You might have an accounting practice that's done some HR work or a legal practice that's doing some marketing or, or 
existing practices trying to do other areas. And we were the first one that was built from the ground up as a fit for purpose, multidisciplinary practice that could offer a true range of serv outsourcing services to clients. So first of all, we had to explain what we were doing. Uh, you know, I go back 20 years, I was one of the first in the market doing uh, outsourcing services for SMEs in the accounting profession. So 2003, I had to explain what outsourcing meant, get people comfortable with it and start again. And, and this is a, a sort of a new iteration of that. It's explaining to businesses, you can get your marketing, HRIT, accounting, uh, recruitment all from the same business and one person can handle it all and you've got specialist teams that can do it. So uh, I think it was about how do we explain to those businesses what we're doing and, and get that message out there and do some fantastic work which we could then explain to other businesses look this is what we do so i think it was proving that proving that model in a, in a way that people could understand and explaining that model in a way that people could buy into it so i mean i mean in terms of that obviously you know working with a variety of companies i mean who, who is your core demographic who, who are you selling to so it's a really interesting question, actually, because when we started the business, the, the, the target market that we envisaged was those fast scale up owner managed businesses. So it was someone that's starting up and, and going to scale up quickly uh, and wanted to put the right systems and processes and procedures in place to be able to deliver that growth. Or they didn't have had gaps in their skill sets and they were going to uh, you know, use us to, to plug those gaps. Uh, fast forward three years, uh, the, the I suppose target client range is completely uh, expanded beyond our uh, wildest dreams. So we're dealing with very small businesses. So it's uh, someone starting up a business from scratch uh, where they want us to set up their social media, their website, do their staff contracts, uh, set up their banking, their accounting, registering for VAT, set up their payroll, run their payroll, all the things that you might need when you set up a business, IT, set up their uh, email accounts, buy their IT equipment. So we We've got those very small businesses that are starting and saying, look, I don't know what I don't know. Could you please do all of it for us? We've got those scale up businesses that are growing rapidly and need people to uh, help them scale and plug the gaps they might have internally. So it's a business that might need a, a marketing director or a, a finance director, but it's not a full time position yet. So they're using us to plug gaps or the bookkeeping person that they had at the beginning is now not fit for purpose so they need to be a bit more sophisticated and then we've got some very large companies as well so we've had some very large businesses that are saying look you know what we, we're just going to outsource our accounts department to you or could you take over our hr team or actually our marketing's not great so it, it's really um i think we thought size would be a certain target market um but what we've seen is that that that's not the case and we're we're uh, working with everyone from very very small micro companies up to global brands yeah, I mean, as, I mean, we're very fortunate in the fact that we've got very strong relationships with a lot of, uh, of very big tech companies and, and global brands. And I think that actually when, when I, we have conversations now, we're very much along the same sort of thinking, the fact that, you know, the solutions are going to come from the startups, from, from the scale up companies, which obviously puts Factotum in a very strong position. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in terms of the round community we've got now, I think just over 5,000 or 5,500 founders on the platform. Um, you know, when should they be starting to consider these things such as HR, the accounting, the marketing? Because again, one mistake I made stupidly um, was I didn't focus on marketing early enough. I kind of thought, hey, let's just build a great product and everyone will come to us. Big mistake, right? We, we should have really started earlier. Um, and it, I think it would have actually had a ripple effect as to where we are now in the business. So in terms of your customers, in terms of people that should be um, taking or at least considering uh, your services, like where are they in their in their in their journey? So I think it very much depends on the business. But really, if you think of any business and I've worked with businesses across every sector from international companies coming into the UK and helping them set up to, to you know, someone starting up in, in, in their around the kitchen table. Uh, I think every business has the same requirements in terms of their back office resources. Everyone needs to hire people at some point. It might, might be never or it might be in the, in the future that they um, need to build that team. So they might need a recruitment team. Um, people need to sort out and look after their people. So it's employment contracts, it's staff handbooks. It's as they grow, they need to have those uh, things in place definitely need accounting so people need to uh, work out if you're building a technology platform one thing that's often overlooked is how is that platform going to integrate with the accounting system how do you get the right management information out and every 
uh, tech business and fintech business or every any tech business really that I've worked with, they seem to forget that. They go, oh, we built this fantastic platform. It's great. It does everything we want it to. And I said, well, how do we get out the financial information? How do we build? And how do we integrate that with the accounting system? So that's really important early on to get someone with a financial brain on the team who can look and say, well, actually, this is what we're going to need. And we need to build that into the development uh, roadmap. And I think you know, when, when do, you, do you, someone needs to look at the VAT, if you're in the UK, VAT uh, elements, or look at if you're trading around Europe about the, the multiple tax issues. Uh, if you're taking on people, who's going to run the payroll? Then you look at the uh, marketing side of things. Now, you know, w- when you put a marketing plan together, uh, when do, are you going to go to market? If you're building a platform and you've got a two-year development timeline to build the platform marketing is probably going to come a bit later in that but you've got to think about how do you start building the brand how are you going to attract people to come and work for your business if you want to build out the theme that's marketing uh, function but also how you're going to sell your product to your customers and reach those customers and how are you going to start building the buzz about what you're doing and then it is something that businesses need all the way along you know is your um, internal it infrastructure fit for purpose are your systems that you've put in all talking to each other you know is your accounting system talking to your crm system which talking to your technology platform and your development platform and your marketing it's looking around the business saying you know what am i going to do how am i going to make sure everything's talking to each other because the amount of time i see businesses waste where they're invoicing on word and then they're uploading it manually then they're sending it to their accountant and then you've got uh, the CRM system is not talking to the marketing system, so they don't know when they've won something, so they don't know when to send a contract. It's an absolute mess. So having uh, the IT looked at independently early on is, is quite important. So I, I think that the, the interesting thing from our perspective is when should you look at it is early on. It's having a conversation with a business like us that says, okay, these are the gaps we've got internally or externally. We need to think about what we're doing with them. But having the IT team talking to the marketing team, talking to the HR team was a real um, sort of point of difference for our business and something that, that our clients are really buying into because they're saying, look, I, I don't know how to do these things. I don't really want to do them. Uh, so what we're going to do is, is give you the bits we don't have. It's completely scalable, flexible. There's no tie-ins, minimum terms, no long-term contracts. You pay for what you need when you need it and you can scale up and down as and, as and when you need. So for those businesses, it's deciding early on to have a conversation with someone and having that conversation which says look I, I might not need you now but in six months I might need this or in 12 months I think I'm going to need this and factor it into the roadmap and where that's really really powerful is if you're a business that's going for seed or first round or, or investment what the investors don't want to see and this is something every business owner should think about what the potential investors don't want to see in a business is a business owner putting huge amounts of money in the forecast for a CPO and a CTO and a, and, a, and a CFO and every C you can find. Um, and they're putting loads and loads of money into building their internal team. And the investors are going to look at that saying, well, you're putting hundreds of thousands of pounds into the senior team, which you probably don't need for two years. But actually by businesses working with us and outsourcing those not, those non-core areas, non-core and non-revenue generating areas, they're able to keep it flexible, which makes it far more attractive to a potential investor to put money in because they can say, oh, I like this because you're keeping it flexible. You're keeping your fixed costs down. If it doesn't go as quickly as you want, you don't have to scale it up. But then also what they're able to do is find the right person two or three years down the line to put into that role. So I think when a business should be looking at it is if they're going for investment, it's a really, really good thing to talk to an outsourcing business like us so you can plug the gaps and keep those costs as flexible as possible have i mentioned to you about the time when we got hacked ever no no not yet (laughs) so january 2021 we've just rebuilt the entire platform we've started generating revenue four or five months earlier and i said from day one when we when we actually launched um uh, Rayon, I said, right, within within six months, we have to be generating revenue or we're, or we're dead. So we hit that target, hit that milestone. Things are going well. And then lo and behold, January, January 2022, apologies, we get hacked. Yeah. Horrendous. Like, like, you know, we had we had to go back to all the companies that we'd brought on board as clients. They were incredibly understanding, believe it or not. I think they appreciated um how open we were with them about it we had to be um and a few points that you've made i think really like resonate with, with me and i kind of wish i'd spoken to you beforehand um but we found that actually you know the architecture wasn't good enough 
And you know, had we brought in the right consultants, the right people, we would have known that the security wasn't good enough. Like, fortunately, we'd been really strict in terms of like we'd all done, done everything via Google. We had uh, worked with the most phenomenal data privacy company based in Germany called DataGuard. So you know, we had all the checks and balances in place from that perspective. But technically, we made error after error, and it was actually. Um, I mean, randomly, like that week when we got hacked, um, a German developer reached out to me like on LinkedIn. He was like, hey, I love what you're doing. Um, I'd love to be involved in some capacity. I was like, not now. Now is not the time. <laughs> um, you know, and and he was like, look, let me have a look at what you're doing. And I was like, Where, where's the catch? What's the pitch? And he was like, nothing. Uh, you know, I just want to see like what you guys are building. Would you mind if I put together a, a report for you? It's like, sure, fine. Thinking, I didn't think I'd hear from him again. About a week later, he came back to me with a document that was 30, 30 pages long at least. And he had outlined every error, every mistake that he could find in our code base, in the design. Obviously, I had to give him access to it at that point. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it, had we worked with him from day one, had we actually done our homework, two mistakes we would have missed. One, we wouldn't have built a round on top of a house of cards. Because when we got to like 7,000 users, we started to see that things were starting to collapse because we hadn't built the architecture. Uh, we hadn't built the right architecture, shall we say. Um, and the other thing being was that actually, you know, the features, we, we'd use microservices, but we hadn't done it properly. So, you know, in terms of the features, when one thing went down on one side of the platform, it was affecting another side. We spoke to him for weeks, right? And it was very much a case of what do we need to fix it? He was like, you don't fix this. He was like, the it's tech, you start again. And we did it and with him. And, you yeah. know, had we actually taken the time, I mean, from day dot, from... Yeah. Day one, we should have been speaking with consultants, um, whether that's Factotum or someone else, and actually just having someone outside the business observing what we were doing, acting as that checks and balances, and it would have saved us a fortune. But I think that's the hardest thing, because when you have an idea and you're passionate about it, and that's the problem most startups and most entrepreneurs have, is you're running at 100 miles an hour, head down and going, right, we're going to do this, let's do it. And you're bringing the team with you saying, come on, everyone, we're on, we're on the way. We're on. Um, and you don't always stop to think. And having external people around, that's why you know a lot of businesses build non-exec boards uh, around them with, uh, of advisors who can sit there and give them the support and give them the advice that, that they need and say, look, have you thought about this? Uh, but I, I think we made mistakes along the way. Everything I've done, every business I've done, every day is a learning. You know, Every day I learn something new. What is your background? Uh, so, 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 yeah. so I, I started off life as, as a chartered accountant, uh, so qualified way back when, when I had hair and a lot, lot less weight. Uh, and after that, ended up going into uh, media. So I, I went into a, a global media company as their European CFO of their PR division and helped turn that round back uh, in the late 90s. Uh, did that for about four or five years uh, and then set up in 2003 what became really the first owner-managed business outsourcing practice for SMEs in the UK, in the accounting sector. So I went and set up a practice that went to businesses and said, look, you focus on what you do best and I'll do your bookkeeping, payroll, management accounts, VAT returns, do your FD, we do year-end accounts, tax, and did away with hourly rates, charged a monthly retainer. And that business grew very rapidly, won all sorts of awards. Uh, I think in 2008, we were the medium firm of the year at the British Council Awards and, and uh, uh sort of grew that business over a number of years to uh, something quite interesting. Then fast forward, I think, to 2017, uh, thought about, I think people had now caught up to what we were doing, you know, 10, 15 years before. And with the advent of the cloud-based accounting platforms, uh, a lot of the processing, a lot of the bookkeeping side of things was becoming automated. So I looked at my business model and thought it had to evolve further. And I'd always wanted to do the factotum model, which was go to a client and, and be able to offer a multidisciplinary uh, service offering rather than just the accounting side of things. Uh, at that point, someone uh, was doing a roll up in the accounting profession and approached me to buy my practice, uh, well, our practice at the time, uh, and, and sold that back in 17 uh, and went with it. But 2017. always had the, sold it in 2017. Good timing. Uh, 
Yeah, just bit. But listen, it's it's still going on, and and uh, you know it was a very successful business, and and it's gone on to do very well. Um, if I then look back that over that few years, Factotum was always the dream. So I left uh, the business end of 2019, beginning of 20, to to set this up. Uh, that was February 19th, 2020, as I said, which was a few years uh, few years ago now, and, and just before lockdown. Uh, and it, the, the vision really was to take everything I'd learned in the accounting profession and all my network and all my contacts and be able to offer this this full suite of services to, to clients, which had never been done before. So it, it was really taking it one step further and, and trying to take on a, a, a huge challenge by doing something that had never been done uh, with multiple service areas in a multiple business started during uh, a pandemic. So it was uh, an interesting challenge I set myself. And how how do you adapt? Because again, you know, we've we've got brilliant accountants. Right? We're very fortunate that they've been incredibly supportive and understanding, given what hell we've actually put them through as yeah. well. Um, you know, people forget you drag the you know the accountants go through it with you. Yeah. Um, but we also use Revolut. We use Stripe, right? You know, we've got all of these like uh, tools now that are automating the accounting yeah. side of the business. Um, we obviously recruit a hundred percent via rayon, right? So we're not even even we don't even source people. It's yeah. just very much again, not that we've released this to the public yet, but I guess it's very much you know we just have rayon tell us who we need to speak to on the platform. Yeah. Um, we will release that actually later this year. But um, in terms of um, in terms of that, specifically with the accounting, can you guys keep up, or how do you adapt? Like, what is it that you know, you, you need to do to ensure that um, you're utilizing this technology to build the business rather than have it like um, work against you? So I, I think that's a really interesting question. It's something that I, I've always tried to do, which is keep up with the change in the technology and always think five or 10 years ahead in terms of what's coming down the line. So back in 2015, I wanted to evolve our business model to include multiple service areas because of automation. But if you, if you go back, let, let, let's, you know, when I started the, the outsourcing practice in 2003, if you look at, let's say you were charging someone £100 for uh, a fee at that point, at that point, probably 75% of that was for processing because there was no cloud-based systems. You didn't have the stripes and you didn't have the plios and the decks and the approval max and, and everything and chasers that, that automated those processes. So it was very manual. I used to get the VAT return sent to me by a client. It was a green form and you get a post-it on there saying, scary green, green form, please deal with it. And it was, you know, that, that was what I was doing 20 years ago. Um, but at that point, you were char charging probably 75, 80% of your fee was around processing and, and, and dealing with the basic bookkeeping. And the other part of it was was sort of advisory and support and, and giving the, it, translating and, and explaining what those numbers meant and giving that support to the business. Fast forward 20 years, now it's kind of flipped on its head. So 20, 25% of it is now is the processing because a lot of it's automated. You're never going to automate everything because you've still got to act as that link between the business and the technology and make sure it's, it's being done properly. So the number of people I've seen that say, I can do my payroll now because I've got Zero or QuickBooks or Sage or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there going, well, do you understand payroll? And do you know what a tax code is? And do you know what you should be doing? Oh, no, I've got this. And then when they make a mistake and you've got to sort out the mess, you know, they would have been better off paying a few pounds a month to get it sorted by someone who knew what they were doing. But a lot of the processing is now automated. So you flip that on its head and 20, 25% is now processing and 75% is that added value advisory uh, translation service, if you like. So we become as an accountant, the translator of the numbers. So you're taking the stuff that's coming out of the system and you're translating it into words that a business owner can understand and helping them make informed decisions on real information, not just what they think is going to happen. So I think what, what what's how things have progressed is that you, you have now keeping up with technology to automate processes. And I think a lot of uh, accounting firms, I did a lot of talking for the profession uh, and gave a lot of, uh, of uh, presentations and spoke at a lot of conferences about uh, very seeing very panicked accountants. It was like a scene from the old film Airplane where people were running up and down the aisle with their hands screaming um, because they were panicking about technology. Classic. Going, our practice is over. Yeah, yeah, going, my life's over. Most people don't know that film anymore. But anyway, but you know, they, they are they are sitting there panicking that you know life's over. Technology is going to ruin our lives, and we're not going to have no practice. And I was saying to him, no, you understand the numbers. They don't. You know, I, I go back to I had a, a hairdresser client once. Who, who used to come into my office once a month and I used to go through the management accounts with them. And they used to say to me, look, 
we don't really we're a bit embarrassed we don't really understand the numbers we don't know how to put together a forecast or a PL or a cash flow and I said to him look on Wednesday I'm going to come into your salon and you're going to put your best client in your chair and you're going to give me the scissors and the color palette and all that kind of stuff and I'm going to cut their hair and color it and they face drained the color they went gray and said I'm not letting you anywhere near my clients so stay away from the balance sheet PL. said you're trained to do this and I'm trained to do what I do and the reason we work together is because I can explain how it works and help you make the right decisions so how do you keep on top of the? that's a really long answer to get back to no, your no, question, but, yeah no please but, yeah but how how do you keep on top of the technology well it's making sure that you're embracing technology and you, you mentioned chat gpt and ai technology before yeah uh, someone recently put the i think one of the institute exams into chat gpt and it fell by one percent or something so it's never going to be completely um able to replace skills experience and being able to translate but what what we have to do as professionals and professional services uh, providers is embrace that technology, use it to automate as many of the routine processes as possible, which allows those clients to get more out of a relationship by using us for where we can add value. So it's how do you add value? How do you explain what those numbers mean? How do you help a business make the right decisions based on the information they're getting? So you've just got to keep on top of what's happening, make sure that you're able to integrate that into your processes, but really, those businesses are always going to need someone who's going to turn around and, and say, look, this is what it means and help them make the right decisions. Hopefully if they listen, because they don't always listen. One thing I've learned, <laughs> listen to your account. Um, but I mean, it, I do think that with the advancements of, of not even just necessary chat GPT, but like, you know, I, I'm lucky that I get to see quite a lot of these um, new like AI platforms are being built. Yeah. I do think that the role for accountants will drastically change. I think it will become far more like consultative, mm-hmm. um, you know, rather yeah. than actually having to crunch the, sit there and crunch the numbers. Yeah. I think it will, you know, they'll be there to interpret and like you say, like ensure you're on the right tax code and, you know, you're following the legislation as yeah. you have to, um, which again, I have to say that, you know, with, with things like chat GPT, they are going to get better. But I think yeah. instead that just creates like far more opportunity for accountants to spend far more time like building up the relationships because a lot of accountants aren't great with that no okay, so. uh, listen, most of a lot of them aren't you know they're, yeah. they're, they're trained to be technical uh accountants to understand how to put tax returns and accounting yeah. uh, they've got better you know they, they've spent a lot of time over the last years learning advisory services how to get uh, work with clients but i think one interesting challenge is you can, and I don't know how this will happen and maybe it will happen in the future, maybe I've watched too many Terminator movies, but I think if you um, think about the emotional side of accounting and business and making the, making the decisions, you know, you can feed all of the information into a AI uh, learning tool or one of these tools that we've been talking about, and it will say, you know, based on all the information, this is what you should be doing. Based on the information, this is the right decision to make. And the number of times I've sat with a client and said, you know, based on the information, this is the right decision to make. And the client does completely the opposite because of an emotional response to how they're feeling. Some people don't want to shut down a business. Some people believe in what they're doing so much that they want to put everything on the line in their house on the line and, and you know, uh, the, the dog and their mother and everything on the line just to build this business. Um, and they make decisions that, the AI technology would turn around and say that's completely the wrong decision. So, you know, I think there is still that emotional element of managing a business owner in a way to explain that this is the decision. If you don't do that, this is the implications, but ultimately it comes down to them making a decision that's right for them. Now, how many businesses wouldn't have succeeded if they didn't, if they did what was right? Do you know what's interesting about that? Because I was, I was yeah. trying to it, like, in terms of myself and, I'm probably one of those people like, you know, if you took me to a casino, I wouldn't bet a pound. I'm not interested. Never. Actually, when I in Vegas, I made like, I think one or two bets with my friends at the time, but not interested in gambling. In terms, in terms of like um, business, especially for startup founders, like there's a lot of like gut instinct that is necessary. Um, And I think that, you know, what I'm, what what I'd be quite interested in seeing is actually if companies like Factotum will start exploring more like consultative services because you're doing, like you said, that you're doing the HR, you're doing the payroll, marketing, right? Which again, you're going to greatly utilize um, things like ChatGPT yeah, to grow your business because inevitably you still need time behind it. But I mean, is there any 
appetites like get involved with like startups actually help them with the investing side because what we're seeing more and more or what i'm seeing from like the big big consultancy firms they're like go and bring me the startups like that's the attitude and it's because they want they want yeah. to invest in them they, they want to actually like be the ones funding them because yeah. they know that um yeah that right now especially with such a misallocation of capital like we've seen the last 10 years 15 years really um since the 2008 financial crisis like now's the opportunity for people that are building their business i think if you go back interestingly enough it's an interesting question because i think uh, we were approached as we were starting the business by uh, some potential investing company companies that invest in businesses and grow them to, to buy the factotum model because they saw us as the uh, new business pipeline for them for the next 10 years um we didn't do that but i, I think the interesting uh, spin on that is how many of those businesses would be invested in by the investors if they relied purely on AI? And um, how many of the business owners, if they relied on the decision-making of, of AI, would actually go ahead and build their businesses? So, you know, it, it even, it's even down to Dragon's Den. You know, you've seen the, you've seen the stories where uh, the, the dragons look at, look at these businesses and go, no, absolutely rubbish, not for me. And that ends up being one of the biggest businesses in the world. You know, and they, <laughs> that's, always gonna so, yeah. that, that, that's always going to happen. That's always going to happen. Yeah. But, but you, I think it's how you drive the decision making. And, and that is, and a lot of it, as you said, when you're starting something up, it's your passion, your drive. And it could be a, an absolutely hopeless business model. But if someone's got the drive, passion, they get a lucky break, it can be a very successful business. Yeah. We, we honestly, we made every, or I should say, I, I'm going to throw yarn under the bus there as well, but it's me. We would collect like, like huge, huge data sets. And it very much became a case of developing the AI. And then going out there and trying to sell it, which completely and utterly flopped because we hadn't really thought about the user experience. What yeah. we should have done, and now what we always do, is we just start with, you know, what is it that the actual customer needs? What is it the customer wants? And we're not saying they're always right. They're yeah. not always right. But at the same time, at least understand what is it that's, that's going to benefit them and then build the technology that suits the trajectory rather than, building the technology then trying to go out and sell it which admittedly is fun right when you're starting out and you're building out a very very basic version of like chat gpt but again this is going back six years you know you're like okay we're on something here yeah. but actually if you don't know how to make it good enough to the point where the user experience is where the user is going to benefit it's all for nothing and i think now we're seeing more and more like early stage investment companies just saying Let's go out there. Let's find companies that yeah. not only have the right idea, not only have executed some capacity, but actually have proof uh, the right product. Yeah, well, yeah, in, in terms of sales, right? they want to see, even if it's like, have you gone and sold 50 grand worth of your product? Yeah. You know, because if you have, yeah. then let's speak. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting um, model when you're starting up a business because you never know where it's going to go uh, and where it's going to take you. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's about making it, appropriate to your customer audience you know i, I remember i gave a, a talk uh, in madrid to a, a sales conference and i was i was talking to the, the salesman and you know there's about 300 people in the room one guy put his hand up and said you know i can't understand he said i went to this pitch this this new business pitch to uh, it was a young business owner uh, entrepreneur and went there and said i was explaining to them what we were doing and i i gave and i took one of the, the junior salesmen that just started out on like to, to shadow me and i sat in this room and i literally sitting there thinking i'm amazing he said you know 30 minutes in i've told them i've nailed it absolutely fantastic gave my best sales pitch ever we walked out there the young guy goes oh i'm so in awe of you you're fantastic what you do you know sales pitch was amazing and he said i never got it and i couldn't understand why i didn't get it and they went to another company uh which their um, model was much more simplified and, and easy to understand. And what I explained to this guy was, I said, you've gone in and spoken at someone for 30 minutes about something that you know an awful lot about that they don't understand. They don't want to admit they don't understand it. And they don't want to admit they know what you're talking about. So unless you can translate it into words that the business owner can understand and something that they can engage with, you've got no chance. You can, you can think you've knocked it out of the park. And I said, you now have to become the translator. And that transcends every business, whether it's technology, whether it's uh, AI, whether it's anything. You need to get in front of your customer and explain what you're doing in a way that people can understand so that they want to engage with you. And you find a way of them being able to engage with you in a platform and in a way that they feel that they understand what they're doing. Because everyone get, if you, you're involved in something you don't understand, people get nervous. They're just not going to engage.
we we, we oh, I made that mistake as well. Like now, when people say what's Rayon, I'd say Rayon is a platform um, for startup founders who want to build. Um, in fact, even now I'm messing it up. Right? See, that's it. Like <laughs> you need you need you need salespeople yeah. in the business. You know, it's the world's best user experience for creating a startup. It doesn't, it doesn't, even that people go, what do you mean? Like, what does that actually mean for the actual end user? How do they benefit from it? And I think trying to explain it in like a few sentences, if you're not a salesperson, which so many tech people are not, you know, it's incredibly challenging. I'll tell you a really funny story. When when we were setting up the business, uh, we had a, a marketing meeting about, uh, strap lines of what we're going to do and how we're going to explain yeah. what we do to, to clients. That's a very similar sort of story. Yeah. Uh, and we ended up coming up with, you know, we, we allow business owners to focus on what they do best while we do the rest. Yeah. Which was a toned, a, a completely toned down version. I'm allowed to swear on the here. Yeah, yeah say what you swear yeah. all you so want. It, I, so I it swear a like a trooper, by the way. Great. So it was a completely toned down version of what I wanted to say. Okay. And when they said, "What do you want the strap lines to be?" I said. We do all this shit the business owner doesn't want to do. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's, you know, do you know what? Shit. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's that's <laughs> and they wouldn't let me do it. I said, look, there, there, there's stuff that a business owner doesn't want to do or doesn't know how to do. So we do all the shit they don't want to do. And they wouldn't let me do that one. So it became focus on what you do best while we do the rest, which was a toned down version of we do all the shit sure. you don't want to do. And that was it. Yeah. But you know, that would have worked. I mean, I mean, you know, that I would, would like to have done that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> I would, if I had my choice, I would yeah. sit there with the developers all day long with designers and I would be like, right, guys, this is what we're building. This is the feature and this is what we're going to focus on. Forget everything else. Let's just yeah. do this one thing and let's do it really, really well. And I'd sit there with Jan and we'd like wireframe it. We'd debate over where the button is going to go, why. Yeah. We'd get, we'd bring Adrian in to tell us, you know, why we're wrong. or And that's what I would love to do. The yeah. actual idea of having to, and you have to, as a founder, you have yeah. to go out there and be like, we're building the world's best user experience for creating yeah. a startup. And yeah. then people go, what does that mean? Like, oh, just just look at the website, you know? Yeah. Now we get we get um we get approached by like VCs regularly. And I don't know if they want to invest, I don't know if they want to be on the podcast, whatever. They're just curious, like, how have you got so many founders on your platform? And I just send them a link now, anything they want, the pitch deck, everything, all the documentation, yeah. our financials, they can see our burn rate. I'd have it there. I don't even engage with them, which yeah. is probably not the right way to be. You need to have someone in your business that is just going to go out there and just like sell. Well, look, it's 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 all about relationships. You know, our first three years has all been about existing relationships and the, the, the senior team, the heads of division have all had relationships over many years. But I suppose when I start out, look, I've got 30 years of case studies of, of working with clients and things I've done. And so have all the all the other heads of division. But as factotum, we haven't didn't have any case studies. So I'm sitting there in, in February 2020 going, right, OK, so I've now got to create a, an explainer video which explains our model, which I can send out to people. Um, and they're going to go, what have you done? Well, I've done this over 30 years and my team have done this, but we hadn't actually physically done anything. So that getting that first year 18 months together of, of client work and case studies to then be able to send out to people was the most powerful tool we had because we'd done it all before we had to prove that we could do it within a new model and then once we had clients where we were providing multiple services so for clients where we were looking after their marketing department their hr uh, their accounting and paying their staff and doing their paying the bills and doing their vat returns and giving doing their forecasts and talking That's to investors amazing. We could go to it, you know, we could say it. So when you're going to a meeting with an investor or when you want to scale the business, you can now go to a client with your, you know, your, although we're outsourced, you can bring sort of your, your outsourced CFO, marketing director and CTO with you. It helps beef up that team. But we had then had case studies that showed what we what we did and how we made a difference from very small companies all the way up to some large global brands. Uh, that gave us the ability then to, to go and talk about what we're doing. But in the early stages, you're sitting there going, okay, I've got 30 years of track record, 30 years of most amazing stories, but how do I make that appropriate to my business? And that's always the challenge when, when you're starting out. How do you tell people what you're doing and how do you prove that you've done what you're doing in, in, a, in a credible way? Are you, I, I mean, I don't like the word entrepreneur, I have to be honest, because I, yeah. I don't like how it's overly, overly used. Like now, you know, I, I meet I meet students and I'll ask them like what, what they're working on. They'll be like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> in your... 21 years old and you're not Mark Zuckerberg so like (laughs) you actually are an entrepreneur in terms of you've gone from business uh, correct me if I'm wrong I hope that's condescending but you've gone from like business to business you've had success I'm sure you've had like tons of failures as well which every entrepreneur has but 
I mean, do you think that you could apply your attitude and your philosophy and your mentality to pretty much any business in any sector? Because I could, I could not do. If I if I wasn't doing if I wasn't building rayon, I'd be working for someone who was building their own rayon. I look. It's it's. Uh, you know, people ask me that. You know, <laughs> I started a business from from scratch. Uh, you know, merged it with another one and sold it. So you know, that was a a uh, essentially a startup I took from a startup idea through to a sale. Uh, so does that make me an entrepreneur? I don't know. Uh, having built that business from scratch, I think this one has completely been built from scratch from the ground up. So you know. Was it, they call you a serial entrepreneur if you've done it once and you're doing it again, I don't know. But I, I think look, the, the reality is the 20 years I spent in the last business as providing outsourcing services, there wasn't really, there isn't now really anything I haven't seen or, or dealt with or any sector. So I've dealt with uh, some of the largest companies in the world setting up in the UK that have now floated for billions. I, I set, you know, I've dealt with global brands that were coming into the UK. I've dealt with, uh, you know, a two-person fashion company that started from scratch and helped them grow. I've looked after mortgage businesses, property companies, tech companies. I've seen one of the largest tech companies in the world. I've helped scale it from when two people came to UK, say we're setting up in the UK and I helped build their global accounts department. So I think that there is pretty much no sector, no business that I haven't seen. And, and there's no challenge that I haven't faced. And between my team as well, we've got yeah, I got the former CEO of, of, of the Below the Line Communications, Saatchi and Saatchi, around Europe, running the marketing. Nice. She, she, she's pretty much seen everything. Wow. Yeah, the lady, that the, the, the head of our um, HR division, took a, 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 a health health healthcare business to a public listing and built that team and, and took it to a public listing and built that entire team and culture. So I've got people within the business. I've got a guy that's been doing, the CTO has been doing digital architecture projects, some of the largest companies in the world for 20, 30 years. So I've got a team of people that have really worked, have been at the top of their game in their sectors. They've built a team beneath them who are all exceptional. And we're able to go to the market and say, look, you know, we know what challenges you're facing. We've been entrepreneurs. We've run global companies. We've run small businesses. We know these challenges and we know what they are. So it makes it much more credible because we've been there, done it. Know that when you're having a panic, it's not between nine and five. It's 10 o'clock on a Sunday night when you think, oh, my God, I haven't done this thing. Or what am I going to do? So, you know, we're used to it. We know we know the challenges and we know what faces, what, what uh, frightens an entrepreneur and, and what things are going to keep them up at night. And we solve them that that's that that's the defining yeah. that, 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 that's what's yeah. right actually solving yeah. the problems like yeah. you know with with um around like whenever i'm like i'm hiring people or interviewing people i always try and like i always say sell the nightmare you know sell the nightmare mm. explain to them from day one we're probably going to fail like we've got yeah. everything going against us you know and i feel that actually it's a great opportunity to decipher like those that really want to be part of a startup and yeah. understand what it means to be part of a startup versus those that actually don't but i mean you know in terms of like advice i mean you know what advice would you have for people that are just starting up now they are building their companies for the first time so i think it's you know it goes back to, if i go back to my last practice for 20 years i was selling accounting services and, and outsourcing services if somebody want to change accountant i, I was pretty uh, pretty stuffed uh, now it's very different. I'm going to a business owner and I'm sitting there and saying to them, what don't you like about your business? What are the challenges? What's keeping you up at night? Where are your gaps? And we're listening to them and we're able to solve them. So, you know, where, where we're very different is it's not just a consulting service where we say, oh, these are the problems. This is what you need to do. We actually put on the wellies, roll up our sleeves and actually do the social media posts and do the bookkeeping and uh, pay the staff and we'll do the IT and we'll crawl on the floors and plug in the monitors and we'll recruit the team. So we actually do as opposed to just, just talk about it. And I think what should businesses be thinking about is where are their gaps? And there's gaps they might not even think they have. It's, you know, what, let, let's focus on what you do best. So it goes back to the one that they did come up with, which is focus on what you do best and then think about, you know, how you can plug those gaps elsewhere. But most business owners think that they need millions of pounds to get going. But actually, if you can keep your costs as variable and flexible as possible and use people to plug in uh, those gaps that you have them and, and, and think about what you need, because where you are in your business, and as you said, you know, you had to pivot and change certain areas of the business. Where you think it's going to go, it might go in a completely different direction. So if you start going down one path and, and staffing up and building a team, doing everything based on that one path, 
when you're starting up, you need to be flexible. You need to be able to pivot and change and go with, let the business drive you as well, certain areas and take you where you need to go and make sure you've got the flexibility built into that business to be able to adapt and change as, as it changes. And I think, you know, the mistake a lot of people make is, is adding on lots of uh, overhead for people that don't generate revenue, you aren't cause of the business and you've got this big non-revenue generating overhead that you've got to pay every month. So by keeping that flexible and scalable in the short term, while you decide what you need and where the business, how the business is going to evolve over that first few years, I think building in flexibility is the key. But again, I mean, with developers, right, you do need a lot of developers and developers cost yeah. a hell of a lot of money. You know, and... Well, let's see, you're going to need developers to develop your product, otherwise you don't have a product yeah. <laughs> or you don't yeah. have a platform. Yeah. So, so that, but, and that has to be that. I'm, I'm talking more about the, uh, from my perspective, the ancillary services. So it's it's the bits you you were talking about. You wish you'd looked at marketing, accounting, yeah. HR. IT, th those bits saying, well, actually, the developers are all subcontractors at the moment. But I, you know, I can make a better margin on this, or I'm going to need uh, two developers or three developers full time for the next three years. When do you take them on? What does the forecast look like in terms of when you take them on? What's my runway? Give my cash runway. If I do bring them on, what does that mean? Uh, implement. Um, what's the implications for me in terms of payroll and contracts and everything that goes with it? So I think I'm talking about sort of the black back office flexibility. When you're building a platform, you've got to have the developers to build. You know, if, if you're a technology platform, you need the developers. If you're a retail store, you need the people on the shop floor. If you're a manufacturing business, you need the people to manufacture the garments and those kind of things. So, do you guys do you guys offer any like GDPR services or data privacy services? We do through our um, IT division through our IT division, and uh, we, we don't have a legal firm, but we've got an in-house. Well, an outsourced in-house legal person sure. so they will basically manage that process and bring in the experts as and when we'll, we'll never offer services where we're not an expert in the area we're, we're about to launch uh you know this has not been announced yet but we're about to launch in the in um the new tax from from april uh our assistance with companies on their esg and sustainability uh work well looking at their esg and sustainability uh credentials within the business but also we're able to work with them on getting b core certification as well so we're, we're working with businesses uh we're, we're focusing on esg from a legal perspective but also uh building up our our sort of outsourced in-house legal uh division as well nice nice well look, a lot yeah. going on it, it does feel like you're running about 10 businesses at once to be fair um, no, i don't sleep anymore the, <laughs> but, but well, that's interesting yeah. You, yeah. you love you love it right you just absolutely love building businesses you love factotum you love what you're actually like doing do you know i, I think i, I the last business I'd, I'd had for 17 years uh and i'd been doing it for 17 years and and it was one of those where I, i'd built the accounting division if it was within factotum i'd built that accounting division and it was really fit for purpose and incredibly well run well managed business that, that gave fantastic services to its clients um i'm now running five businesses in one uh, and I think I'm now totally motivated, uh, passionate about what I'm doing. I jump out of bed in the morning. I'm excited to get into work. Uh, you know, I think uh, I don't want to go on holiday because I think I might miss stuff. My family want to kill me for that, but there we go. <laughs> but no, that's, I think that's hard. Yeah. How do you do it? How did you, do you mind fast? I mean, um, no? do you have a young family or? So I think that the timing for me is perfect. So okay. uh, my, my children are both grown up now. They're 21 and 23 and both working. Okay. Uh, my wife works. So, so between us all, you know, we're, we're at a different stage. So I built the last business. I started it when they were, uh, I think, was it two and one or three and two. And I built that over 17 years. Uh, and now they're Did 21 you find a balance, though? Did you find, were you able yeah. You were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, family is very important. You know, that, that, that keeps you grounded. It, it, it's the reason you're doing it. And I think it's the reason you you, you build a business um, and, you know, you, you work hard, but you also play hard. So you work hard so you can have the holidays and have those experiences with the kids and do things. And we did a lot together. You know, I was always at football, managed my son's football team, did all sorts of things, you know, took my daughter to all her auditions and all her singing competitions and dancing competitions and all that kind of stuff. So I, I was always there and, and made time for the family. Uh, this time, you know, my, my son's now a trainee accountant for his sins um, and my daughter's a performer. So, you know, I, I still managed to, to, to leave work and go and be her roadie and put my hoodie on and go and set up her PA system. And you know, I had an had a instance a few weeks ago where I was setting up um, her system at a, uh, an event. I was crawling around the floor, setting up the speakers, had the you know hoodie on, crawling on the floor, you know, plugging in the system, setting up the microphones. And then someone looked at me and goes, you're an accountant, aren't you? 
I went, no, we got mixed up with someone else. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I still I still managed to be my daughter's roadie and and uh, you know can still still manage to go to, to being a dad. Yeah, okay. and I've got my, my my own hobbies on the weekend as well. So I managed managed to fit it all in. So it's important, I think, to get that balance. But the fact that this business is I've built an incredible we built an incredible team of people. Uh, that are really passionate about the company, really excited about where it's going. We've just interviewed two people who had other job offers uh, and they've turned them down to come and join us because they love what we're doing. Uh, so I, I'm, I've got a team of people here that motivate me that I'm really excited to see every day. Uh, and they're all excited about what we're doing and so am I. So I literally bounce out of bed in the morning and can't wait to get here, which is you know really an exciting and a happy place to be. Plus, I still get to spend time with the family and fly, fly, fly around on the weekends. You know, it's my weekend hobby. <laughs> I mean, and, and what, what's next? Um, I'm, I'm conscious of time, actually. But what is next for you guys? Like, you're doing a lot. Are you going to... Is it now just a case of, like, sale, um, just scaling sales and, and just really just getting your name out there? And... Yeah. I think everything's been organic and referred to us. So it's people asking us to do things. We haven't actively really gone out and marketed it that widely. Uh, I wanted to make sure, you know, I don't ever want to take on a client if we can't deliver the service and, and, and make sure we do a fantastic job for them because we're only, we're only as good as our last client. So yeah. I wanted to make sure I'd built the team, I'd scaled it, it was fit for purpose. I didn't want to take on too much work. I wanted to do it gradually. Uh, so it's all about continuing to scale the team uh, build out the model and, and continue to offer fantastic services to our clients. And I think it's, it's about how we now scale what we've built in a very short period of time. Because really, I said the first 18 months, two years was 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 non-existent. It's really only the last year we, we've scaled in the last year at such a dramatic pace. Uh, and I think that the offices we're in, when I, when I walked into the offices with uh, myself, I walked in and said, look, you know, I need to take an office here probably for two or three people when I first started. I said, but we're going to grow really, really quickly. And they went, yeah, we've heard it all before. Yeah. And then I, yeah, everyone says that when they come in. And then they actually said to me about a month ago, you weren't lying, were you? I went, no, I, was, you know, I believed in what we were doing. And that, I think, is the key message. You asked earlier, you know, what's the message and what should people be thinking about? It's thinking about what you're good at and plugging the gaps. But the most important thing I think is two words, it's passion and belief. Believe in what you're doing and have the passion to drive it forward. Well, on that, I think, Bobby, we're going to leave it there. But thank you very, very much for your time today. It's been a very interesting conversation. Thanks, Lance. It's been great to speak to you again.